are uh, continuing on a series called The Pastor's Dead, Now What? And the idea behind this is that uh, sometimes we have people in our lives that are spurring us on, that are kind of our, the champions of our faith. Maybe if you're a student, it's your parents, and they're dragging you to church all the time, and they're trying, to, they're trying their best to pour into your, your faith walk. Maybe it's a therapist who's just trying to get you on the right track. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you're not quite there spiritually and you, you kind of rely on your spouse to be the, you know, kind of the spiritual stronghold of, of, the, of the marriage and of the home. It could be anybody. And so the reason we, we call it the pastor's dead is because what, what happens when that person leaves? Maybe they move away. Maybe they die. I don't know. Maybe something happens. What happens when there's nobody that you can kind of look to anymore? And the, the overall question we've been asking ourselves is, how do we feed ourselves? How do we take care of ourselves? Like how, how can we get to a point where we are not relying on the pastor to be a certain way, or our spouse to be a certain way? How can we go into scripture? How can we go into our prayer time? How can we get accountability and uh, ourselves and do it ourselves? And so that's what we've been talking about. And this is the last week. La- last, last week we talked about um, getting into the, to the word. And what we talked about, that the word of God is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And we were talking about the idea that when we open our Bible, and we begin to read it, and we begin to try to apply it, that God's breath hits us. We begin to enter into conversation, and our point was that God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to me. And so the verse that we ended up with was this one. But solid food, essentially the writer of Hebrews is talking about the immature and the mature. And he's saying solid food, the the Bible, the teaching about righteousness, the hard stuff, the stuff where you're feeding yourself is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And we talked a little bit about, like, isn't the distinguishing between good and evil obvious? Isn't it, shouldn't it be obvious to everyone what good and evil is? And what we, what we learned was that, yeah, when we're defining good and evil, it's obvious. But what we want to do is get into the word and let God define good and evil. And as we grow in that, the things that we maybe shied away from, now we're going towards. The things we were going towards, now maybe we shy away from because we're growing, we're maturing in Christ, okay? And so that's where we were. This idea that those who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Now, from there, we look at Romans twelve nine, And that says, let love be with, without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So, so through constant use, we're trained, we distinguish between good and evil, we actually get the mind of Christ through the word of God, and now we take it to the next step. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. We're going to be talking about holiness this morning. I don't know if you've ever, um, well, I know you have because I'm going to explain it right now, but... Have you ever seen somebody 
give up a whole lot for very little? Like, you ever seen somebody, I mean, we've, we've seen it, we see it in the news. I, I have this book on my bookshelf called Leadership Derailed, and it's basically stories about leaders who lost everything because of their stupidity, their pride, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And I love those stories. I don't know why, of like utter destruction. Um, Maybe because it makes me feel better about myself. I don't know. But I like reading about, and and you'll read about like um, the CEO of Home Depot, where Home Depot was just just cranking. And because of this guy's pride, they were just poised to, to take off. Because of this guy's pride, and this one issue that he wouldn't let go, he st- the, the, the company just started plummeting. They had to get rid of him and get somebody else. And, and there's all sorts of stories like that. And we, we've seen stories ourselves. We, we've seen people who had, like we've seen presidents of the United States almost lose the presidency for an intern. Now, I'm not naming anybody's name. It could be anybody, right? But we, we've seen it come like, like, like the president of the United States, all that, and he, and, and he or she, again, I don't know what, almost loses it for, for an intern. We, we've seen Tiger Woods about ready to win everything. He's, he, he almost won, he could win anything. He could come here right now in our ping pong tournament and win it, right? <laughs> he can win anything. He's Tiger Woods. He has everything, billions of dollars. He's got a smoking hot wife. Gives it up. Gives it up. For what? And, and you could probably look around. You've probably had bosses. You've probably seen people in the business. They were doing great. They were doing great. And because they couldn't let something go, they gave it up. We've seen people around us have a beautiful marriage, beautiful family. Everything's going on. And just for one business trip, lose it all. One, one little thing. They had all this, and they sell it for hardly anything. Yeah, I, I've seen people have all, everything they need in finances, everything, everything they could possibly want. And through one like speculative deal, one business deal, one way to kind of get rich quick, they lose it all. What is that? Why does that happen? And more importantly, how do we not become one of those people who becomes derailed. Well, the, the Bible tells a story about a guy who did just that. He, um, he had a lot. And, and he, he got rid of it for just very, very little. It's in uh, the book of Genesis, and it's in chapter 25. And we'll have it up, most of it behind me. But if, if you have a Bible in front of you, and the chair in front of you, you want to get to Genesis, it's the first book of the Bible right after the foreword about dedicating it to God and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's the first book of the Bible. And it, it's just basically the story. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see, um, this, th- you'll see these three guys, kind of the fathers of the people of God. They're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and you'll see in the Bible, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see it all over the place. Well, well this guy Isaac, the middle guy, had two sons. One of them was Jacob, obviously, and they were twins. And Isaac was 60 years old when he had these twins. And his wife, Rebecca, uh, was pregnant. And when the babies came out, the first one came out, and the Bible says he was red and hairy. 
Now, the Bible's been around for several thousands of years. Now, if my birth record was around for several thousands of years, not too sure I'd like that as my, you know, John came out red and hairy. And we've had three kids, and, and one of them, one of them was red, uh, but none of them were hairy, okay? Thank the Lord. And, and so they named him Esau, which means hairy. Now, can you imagine naming your kid, like, like you say, well, hey, what are you going to name the baby? I don't know, I'm going to wait till I see what it looks like. You know, and the baby comes out and you're like, slimy. I'm going to name it slimy. This is my son, slimy. You know, my other son, conehead. You know, because sometimes they come out and they're all jacked up, you know, and it's like, conehead, slimy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this Esau, they name him Harry, okay, because he was Harry. And Jacob comes out behind Esau holding on to his ankle. So you know these brothers have already got some issues with him already in the womb. As a matter of fact, Rebecca goes to the Lord and says, what, prior to this, this is such a great story. You should, you got to read your Bibles. They were just like kicking and fighting and squirming around. I mean, she goes to the Lord and goes, what is inside? And she's like, you know, she doesn't know what's going to happen. And so she says, what, what's going on? And God says to her, you have two nations in you. And the, and the, young, the, uh, younger, the older is going to serve the younger. So they, she gets this prophecy. So they come out and you got Harry. Well, his name wasn't Harry. His name was Esau, which was a play on words. It's actually a play on a Hebrew word called Harry. They switched the two around. It's pretty cool. And then, and then Jacob. And so it, it goes on in the scripture to say that Esau, the hairy guy, he was a man of the open field. He was still red, even as he got older, and still hairy, and he, would, he was a hunter. And Jacob, he, he was a quiet man who hung around in the tents, okay? Worse off, Esau was loved by his dad because his dad loved uh, game. He loved, he loved venison and all that kind of stuff. And so he loved his son and his mom, Jacob was a mama's boy. So if it was in your house, it would look like this. Esau would have the remote control and he's watching ESPN. Jacob would come in and switch it to the food channel. That's, and, and the dad loves the one and the mom loves the other. So you can just imagine the, t- I mean, honestly, if you think about it, what would your family look like with two guys like that? That's where they were. Now watch what happens. In verse 27 of Genesis, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew after he watched the Food Network, Esau came in from the open country. Now, get this, famished. We're going to start to see a, a pattern here, a process here that we're going to hopefully catch, catch, catch on to. Uh, and he says this, if you, if you have your own Bible, not one of the church's Bibles, uh, circle this word quick. If you have the New, America, uh, New International Version, it says quick. If you have NASB, it says like please. And if you have ASV, it says uh, pray thee. So just stick with the NASB and NIV. But uh, this idea of quick let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom, which means red. So, I mean, the poor guy. He's like called Harry and Red his entire life. And he loves this red stew, which makes it even worse. It's because that, it just makes everything worse. So, so, so here's the thing. Quick. 
Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. We're beginning to see some insight into what happens when someone sells something great for something of very little value. We're starting to see what happens in our minds when when we start to make choices and we have something of great worth over here and yet something inside of us says, quick, I'm famished. See, Esau was dealing with real felt needs. He was hungry, right? But it's not like you say, you're not hungry. He is hungry. He can't help but be hungry. He was just out in the field all, all day hunting. So he comes home and he, he's hungry. The problem is, there's, and there's nothing wrong with being hungry. There's nothing wrong with wanting some of that red stew, right? There's nothing wrong with being famished. But watch what happens. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Now, for all the people here who are Hebrew, you understand what that means. And you're like, right? But for the rest of us who aren't Hebrew, uh, what that means is what back in that time, when you were the firstborn male, you had a birthright. And what would happen is when dad died, you got an, everyone got an inheritance like, like normal, but the, but the head one with the birthright got a double portion. And the reason he got a double portion was because he would then become responsible for the entire, for the entire family deal. The flocks, the, the unmarried um, uh, sisters, kind of everything. He became the manager. And so, so because of that, with, with that responsibility comes this blessing. And, and all throughout the Old Testament, the birthright is a blessing. It's not a curse. So if you're like, I don't want to be responsible for any flock and my sisters and all that kind of stuff. I'd, you, you wouldn't be, you're, you're bad Hebrew. Okay, you're not, you're not thinking like a Hebrew. This is a great honor and, and, and it's a blessing. So for Jacob to take some stew and say, birthright, mmm, that smells good, doesn't it? Would be preposterous. All Esau had to do was go, hold on a second walk outside the tent or wherever they were, look out over the land, look at the flocks, look at what what his father Isaac had for him, and then look back at the stew and go, are you kidding me? I'm not giving up that for that. That's, That's ridiculous. Why would I give up that for that? Jacob, come here, look outside, see that? Because Esau's stronger than Jacob because Jacob watches the food channel. He said, look out there. Grabs his head. I'm not giving up that. Your skanky stew. Last time you put too much salt in, I didn't like it anyway. I'll wait and get myself my own stew. That's not what happens. Watch what happens. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Esau says this, and this is so key in understanding why we sell out what's really valuable for what's not valuable. Look, I am about to die. Now, was Esau about to die? Uh-uh. Was he, was he famished? Yeah, he's famished. Did he want something quick? Yeah, but he wasn't about to die. And this kind of gives us a little bit of insight into why we sell something of great value for something of little value. Because we take that real need, nothing wrong with being famished, nothing wrong with wanting stew. 
And we turn in and we say, we're going to die if we don't have that. I deserve that. If you knew what I was going through, you would make the same decision I did. If you knew what my spouse would like, you would understand, I got to get out of this relationship. If you understood about my finances, you'd understand, I've got to charge it up. If you knew what my parents were like, you'd understand, I have to. If you knew what he did to me, you'd know, I, I am not going to let it go. If you knew what my finances were like, you'd know, I cannot give. See, there's a sense of going from a real felt need to turning it in, whether by the enemy or by our flesh, we go, I'm going to die. Now, here's what's happening. It's not that the stew has any more value. It's that Esau devalued what he had. You see that? Whether you're hungry or not hungry, stew is stew. What you're willing to pay for it, that's on us. Okay, I was going to say you, but then that would rhyme and it'd kind of be weird. Okay. Basically, he said, so he says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Dummy, it's worth everything. What kind of conclusion is that? So he goes on. It didn't say dummy in there, but, uh, but Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore him an oath selling his birthright. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank. Now listen. And then he got up and left. No consequence. Right? This happens all the time. We sell something of great value for something very cheap and we get up and leave and everything seems fine and we go about our business and we don't understand what we've given up for what we got. It happens on business trips all over the country. It happens with pastors all over the country, thriving ministry, people coming to Christ, all sorts of stuff, having the poor being fed. I mean, just great, great ministry. And then because of something, they couldn't handle the stress, whatever, if you knew what their home life was like, all that, they sell it and it's gone and it's destroyed. But it didn't happen right, right afterwards. Got up and left, went back about the business. Do you see a pattern? Can, can you start to begin to see what happens when someone sells something of great value for something very uh, of little value? Gets up and left. And here's the, key, here's the point. So Esau despised his birthright. Now the verse doesn't say, so Esau, he liked himself some stew, right? <laughs> Woo, does he like stew. It doesn't say Esau had the best stew of his life. Esau went into the stew business, right? It says, it it doesn't mention the stew. It mentions the birthright. It says he despised his birthright. He devalued his birthright. What he had, if he would have just turned around and looked outside the tent, he would have seen, he would have known stew. What do I want this stew? Now, can you imagine if the stew wasn't good? Man, what a bummer. Could you imagine if that was the worst stew he ever had? This happens all the time. 
This happens all the time. You, you sacrifice everything for some car or some job, whatever. Your boss turns out to be a jerk. And you're like, oh, man, that didn't turn out the way I thought. You leave your wife for your girlfriend, and your girlfriend did, and it's like, oh, man, I should have stayed home. Right? <laughs> this happens all the time. Because why? Because it doesn't have any value compared to what you have that has value. And listen, everybody here, every one of you, has value, has things in your life that have value, that God has placed there. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a birthright, a blessing that has value. Now watch what happens. So we're going to sh- switch gears. We're going to look in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His compa- commands are not burdensome. Uh, Nate, last night at zero service, was bringing up this point on this verse. It was really good. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. But if we think about it, and we're there in the moment, and we're famished, and there's some really good stew there, it does seem burdensome, doesn't it? I mean, if you were to tell Esau, whatever you do, don't eat the stew, right? And he's there, and he's famished, and there's stew there, and we say, that's the rule. No stew for you, right? That's it. Wouldn't that seem burdensome? It would. If I tell you, if the Bible tells you no sex before marriage, and you're dating someone, and you love each other, and it's just, ooh, and I mean, this is it, and I'm telling you, and things are doing stuff, and I mean, you're just like, woo! And I say, ah, 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 wait till you're married. It seems burdensome, doesn't it? In the moment, quick, give me some of that red stew. I'm famished. If I tell you that uh, the Bible talks about giving, being a cheerful giver and giving 10% of your money, 10% seems burdensome, doesn't it? It seems 10% burdensome. I mean, you can put a number on it, a value. You can tell me exactly what burdensome looks like to the penny. And you go, man, I don't know. That's, that, that seems burdensome. And yet the Bible says, and his commands are not burdensome. Listen, here's what God knows. God knows the thing you have of value. And so when he looks at the stew, he goes, that ain't nothing. That has no value. What I'm trying to tell you is not burdensome. Look, at you, it's stew. That's it. It has no value. To, don't eat the stew. Has no, it's not burdensome. And we go, oh, but I'm st- quick, give me some of that red stew. And he says, look outside the tent. Look what you have. Look what I've blessed you with. Look where we're going. It's not burdensome. To, to experience financial freedom and just kind of releasing your finances to God is not burdensome. Credit cards, those are burdensome. Okay? You go to the, you look in the mailboxes like, I, I don't even want to right? Maybe if they just, I didn't, I don't know. I I didn't get it. You know, whatever whatever the thing is, that's burdensome. Having, having these sexual relationships that you take into your marriage, that you have in your marriage now, and you, you, these, all these other past baggage, that's burdensome. So watch, watch what happens. So we're going to go into Hebrews now, kind of all over the place. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good 
that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us. I, I want you, we're going to all say the word discipline. Ready? Ready? One, two, three. Discipline. Don't you hate that word? I can't stand it. I don't like it when I eat. I don't like it when I exercise. I don't like talking about God disciplining me. But what, what's happening here is the writer of Hebrews is starting to give us a bigger word picture, a bigger value to our lives than maybe we even give it. And we, we talk so much about God's grace, and, and we are. We're saved by grace. Unmerited favor, the whole bit. But once we're saved, God demands something from us. God disciplines us. Can you imagine a, a, a set of parents that only discipline their kids by grace? The kid runs out in the middle of the street and they're like, what a runner. (laughs) Look at him go. Wow. I love him so much. Hey, buddy. Watch out for the cars. Oh, that was close. (laughs) He'd be the cutest roadkill out of everybody. You know, teacher calls, kid lights firecrackers in the classroom. He found a lighter. Wow. I thought I hid that. What a hunter. Way to go. (laughs) Like, nobody, nobody disciplines their children, raises their children just by grace. Why? Because they see the bigger picture. They know how valuable that kid is. And and what happens when when there's discipline in, in somebody's life and they watch and how that discipline, when they're trained by it, man, it just keeps going. Well, watch what happens, right? God says this, uh, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they seem thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Yeah, we're saved by grace, but God has something bigger than just making it to heaven. There's a birthright, a blessing that happens to those who live lives that are holy, that are set apart, that are becoming more what we call sanctified. There is a blessing. And when we look at the bowl of stew and we go, I'm famished, quick, give me some of that red stew. We give up something of great value. And though we might walk up and walk away and not even know, it's coming. God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness. It's just a fact. It goes on. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Isn't that that the truth? You work out and you discipline your body. You're on the Stairmaster, that that thing that that goes like this and you look ridiculous in it. It's painful. Later on, however, remember Esau said, quick, give me some of that red stew. He missed out on this verse. Later on, on however watch what happens when the bowl of red stew comes and you say quick give me some of that red stew i'm famished oh i gotta have some right now if you can discipline yourself later on watch what happens this is what you give up when you when you eat the stew it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace see god's burdens god's commandments are not burdensome they're not burdensome if we can get through the quick thing, like, okay, no, 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 just get through it. Just get through it. Later on, in our lifetime, you will experience this birthright, this double portion of blessing, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained 
by it. Remember, we go back all the way to that verse that we looked at in Hebrews. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have been trained by it, right? The same idea. Then he goes on. He says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. Strengthen your girly arms there. Uh, your weak knees. Make... That <laughs> just came out of nowhere. Um, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Now listen, so that the lame may not be disabled. In other words, this thing, this is what happened to Esau. He came in famished. He left disabled. He left the blessings gone. The, 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 the double portions gone. You great? I hope that must have been some really good stew. I hope that was a four million dollar bowl of stew because that's probably about what he gave up isaac was a wealthy man make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather be healed now listen make every effort to live at in peace with all men and to be holy listen i'm all about grace i love grace we're saved by grace 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 i love it But after we've been saved by grace, the preponderance of evidence in Scripture, I mean, the overwhelming bulk of material, says, now that you're saved, live holy. One of the ones that really rocks it is this. Uh, Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. I need to live in a manner that gives value to my birthright. I need to walk in a manner worthy of this grace. Grace was free for me, but it cost Jesus everything. It cost him a whole life of not being able to make any decision on his own. He just went to his heavenly father, said, I'm going to say what you say. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And it cost him his life, everything. And I need to walk in a manner that's worthy of that. This is all through scripture. There's no getting around it. By grace, we're saved. But he calls us to live holy. Watch what happens. He says, and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I say, ah, I got you there, uh, pastor. Um, well, I'm holy under Jesus. He sees me as sanctified, as righteous. And so I'm going to see the Lord. Congratulations. You made it. Esau was still a son. He still got probably some inheritance. I don't know. Well, I do know because it actually says it later on in the book. But, uh, right? But listen, haven't you been in a season where you're not living the way you know you should and you just don't see God? I mean, haven't you been in those situations? I know I have. Where I just don't, I, I know the Bible tells me he's everywhere. I could go to the depths of Sheol. He's there. I could ride, you know, and I can go anywhere. God's there. But why don't I feel him? Well, why don't I sense his presence? Why isn't he helping me? Because without holiness, he takes his hand off and says, you want to go? Go. You take the stew. It looks good. But there is a double portion of blessing, a birthright that you have, that you're going to give up because of it. It goes on. See, to it that no one misses the grace of God. Hmm. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral. 
Those are all, this is all holiness stuff. Don't be bitter, don't be, you know, come on, let's, let's, let's get up to a, to a higher level. Or is godless? Uh, I mean, none of us want to be godless, right? Now, what example do you think the writer of Hebrews is going to use for someone who's godless? I would think, you know, and don't be godless, like a murderer or like an arsonist burning down orphanages or whatever godless i mean godless is godless right it goes on don't or or is godless like esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son afterward as you know when he wanted to inherit this blessing he was rejected he could bring about no change of mind that we sought the blessing with tears the writer of hebrews says listen guys You've got this inheritance. All of us do. All of us have access to the kingdom of God. We have access to um, a harvest of righteousness and peace. And yet there's something in us, a real felt need, that when it comes by, we say, quick, get me some of that red stew. I'm famished. And and, and so this is kind of our challenge how do we keep the value? How do we keep right in front of us the value of this kingdom, the value of this inheritance, so that we can have these situations come in front of us and go, Stew, are you kidding me? I'm not going to trade in my holiness for that. What, this movie, I mean, again, you're going you're gonna to have to fill in your own blanks because this, this is when people start getting all, well, I, don't, I think it's fine to, fine, good. Go and be filled. All I'm saying is when you get to that, because you know what your stew is, right? You you know what the thing is. How do we take it and not give it any value? How do we take it and say, you know what? How do we open the, the doors of our tent and go, no, this is what is promised me. I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna waste it on that. How, how do we how do we do that? 